If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3. But then I'm going to confuse you because I want to tell you a story from John 9. (laughs) But still turn to Acts 3, don't worry. But John 9 would talk to us about another healing, uh, the recovery of sight to a blind man in John chapter 9. In John 9, when merely opened this way, it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we might say, uh, this blind man, poor guy, just poor guy, just, just like the lame man we're going to meet today in Acts 3, a man debilitated since birth. This blind man never knew a day where he got to see the great colors of the world, especially autumn. <laughs> poor guy. So did he sin or, or did his parents sin? And Well, neither. He's just blind for no reason. He's just blind because... Fate gave him those bad cards. He's blind arbitrarily. No, there's, there's this whole other world. There's a whole massive, important, significant, supernaturally glorious reason why this man is blind. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we, we often scoff. Well, that's Christian talk. That's pithy religious mumbo-jumbo, because you and I have problems like the blind man. Maybe it's not blindness. Maybe it's not lameness like the lame man we're going to meet today. But we have problems and we have a tendency to come to passages like today more concerned about how to get what the lame man got in terms of his end, right? He got to walk. The blind man got to see So how do we get our problem fixed? And we miss the gospel displayed through a cripple. That's the point, and that's what Peter is going to make use of after the lame man is healed today. I invite you to stand one last time today in honor of hearing the word of the Lord today. So if you'd like to stand, please do. And we're going to read Acts chapter 3. Verses 1 through 16. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple 
asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's pray. Father, we always come before your word. And whenever we're in the habit of doing anything daily or occasionally, we can make your word less than it should be. It can become so familiar to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do work today in our hearts, in our minds, that your word would change the trajectories of life today. Some of us who are on bad roads that we shouldn't be on. I pray that we would respond as you would have us respond. I believe that you never coerce us. So I pray you would give us the humility to receive your word and voluntarily do what it is you would ask us to do. Because it would mean good news for our lives. Father, say what it is that you desire and have your way in every single heart and mind today. I pray against hard hearts that you would soften them. I pray against the enemy that you would keep him from taking hold of our minds. And also I pray against our own flesh that we would not rebel against what it is you would say to us. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And may be seated. I had two classmates who were brothers in my class growing up, the class of 2008. Yes, I'm that young. Um, I'll call them the Anderson brothers, Clyde and Harold, because you know tons of Clydes and Harolds running around Kamii, I'm sure. Harold was my age, and Clyde, I think, was two or three years older than I. And it wasn't that Clyde had flunked a grade, but he was mentally impaired. He's a big, he is mentally impaired, he's still around. He's a big, big guy, really big, and he's a joyful soul. And I didn't know the family too well, but what I envisioned and what I began to wonder or suspect from what I did see was that as was inevitable, Clyde's condition was beginning to consume the family. And Harold kind of started making bad decisions as he got into high school. He had a kid. And I wonder in retrospect if these weren't subconscious cries for attention. He kind of faded under the care that was needed to take care of Clyde. 
And their mom was probably at school more than home, so she could help take care of Clyde. And I remember seeing the dad once or twice when I was in middle school, but I kind of wondered if after a while the dad and mom may not be together. I don't know. It's bittersweet. It's commendable because here's a man, Clyde, who does need the special assistance. But at the same time, it takes a toll on those closest to him. And as best as people try, there are still emotional scars. Luke started the story this way in our passage today. Now, Peter and John were were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So the ninth hour is from dawn. It's about 3 p.m. Priests would offer two sacrifices daily, and this is the second of those sacrifices. So when the priest offered a sacrifice, good Jews would go to the temple to pray. But as Peter and John go there, there is a man lame from birth. In fact, Luke would tell us by the end of Acts 4 that this man was over 40 years old, lame from birth. Can you imagine? For over 40 years, he's never known a day without assistance. He's never known a day of silence and solitude. He always needs someone around to help and take care of him, to take him places. And as I think about my classmate Clyde, I think about this lame man who does have all of his mental capacities, and so he may be able to witness the emotional impact he may have on his family. The the lame man cannot help his handicap, but I wonder if at times he sees his family's wear and tear. I wonder if he imagines caretakers behind closed doors arguing about a day off, just wanting to rest. I wonder if he gets saddened at times that despite nothing he's done himself, he might be a burden to his family. In a previous draft of this sermon, I gave this lame man my own clever made-up name. But I wonder if the Bible leaves him nameless for a reason. Well, in fact, I don't wonder because I don't believe the Bible makes mistakes. Because more than just honing in on this man's inability, I want us to take note that you and I are the cripple. We are the cripple. Paul would give some striking descriptions of life without the divine intervention of Christ. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, And you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Among whom we all once lived. Nobody escapes this. Everybody's been here, enslaved in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, crippled. (laughs) Because there's a way we ought to walk, 
There are things we ought to do. There are people we ought to be. But the passions of our flesh and the desires of our bodies and mind, we by nature fulfill those things. Crippled, unable to help ourselves, just as unable as the lame man in our passage. And some of us at times, I wonder if we are okay with just getting by. Just scraping by to live like the lame man here. We don't look beyond our infirmities. We don't trust or hope in a better way. The verse would tell us they laid him daily at the gate of the temple. See, perhaps this is the best solution. This is the greatest solution he could or should expect. Maybe the broader Jewish family could share the load. Maybe the lame man, although he couldn't work, could at least get some income to provide for himself. And so he settles into the routine of just accepting what he's always known. And he says to himself, this is as good as it'll get. And so I better make the best of it. And some of us have been there or are there spiritually. And we think with coming of age is also a coming of darkness, a coming of of a dark reality settling in. This is who I am. This is who I'll always be enslaved to my nature. But another day at the temple sees two folks that you and I know if we read our Bibles. Two men that have been living completely different lives than the lame man, lives that have been recently set on fire by God Himself, by the Holy Spirit. Lives that had seen the likes of the lame man or worse, healed. Lives that know the power of God. Lives that believe in God's ability to do anything that God would desire. And Luke carries the story on. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and say, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Again, another day in the temple, and the, all the lame man wants is alms. This makes sense. Maybe, again, he'd feel good to reprieve his family and provide for himself the only possible way he could. But spiritually, I wonder if we just seek to receive alms. We seek a few doses of spirituality. Some of us seek to assuage guilt, and so we attend a church service here. We pick up a Bible there, or maybe if we pray, if the times are tough. Doses, alms, stuck in our crippled state, but seeking just what we need to scrape by. And if that's where you're at, if you're on the edge, if you're on the precipice, let me tell you, church, the pastor included, myself, there are times, there can be any time and day when lame men are in the church Amen? Lame men on the pews week after week, glad to be here, glad to hear the sermon, glad to sing the songs. We get our doses and then we go back to living crippled lives. We go back to enslavements to our passions and sin. We go back to wait by the temple until another gives us alms. And if this is you today, listen to the emphasis in these verses. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I believe Luke is saying something here. 
I believe the Holy Spirit is saying something here. Pay attention. See, tragedy is making way for opportunity here. The tragedy of the crippled man is making way for the opportunity of literally of a lifetime. And this happens every opportunity that you and I have whenever we repent to be further immersed in the gospel. Whenever you and I come to Jesus and we bring our sin and we ask for forgiveness, tragedy can make way for opportunity. Peter and John had more than just a temporary fix. They had more than just a few coins, but rather they were able to get to the root of the man's lack of income problem and provide a permanent fix. Friends, Bible reading, prayers, and church going are all good things, but don't use them as temporary fixes. My guess is the lame man will then use his legs to make money. (laughs) Same thing as he's been doing at the temple receiving alms, but a better way of providing for himself. Jesus offers legs, don't just ask for money. Get it? Jesus offers a heart change, a root change, an inner life change, and He gets to the roots of sin in our lives and He weeds them out so we're not just scraping by with alms and doses of spirituality. Jesus offers to immerse us in His Spirit. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. Excuse me, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. If you highlight, underline whatever you do in your Bibles, verse 6 deserves a good highlighting in what Peter says. If there were ever a verse that a pastor could take to heart, where I was thinking about this, have you ever met a helpless encourager? Somebody who's very helpless, but he encourages anyways. You know, you tell them your problems. Well, you could do this and you could do that and none of it helps. If there was ever a verse that they could take to heart, whenever you see someone suffering or if you see someone in a trial and you want to do something, whatever you could do. In fact, a lot of you might be in bad situations right now. Big trials, medical problems. A lot of you are facing deeply spiritual problems, sin and messiness. I have no silver and gold, but what I do, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The greatest gift, the greatest asset, the greatest redeemer, listen to this, the greatest practical assistance that can come to you in your hour of need is the power of Jesus Christ. If you take anything away today, take Jesus Christ. Back in Ephesians 2, where Paul was describing the spiritual lameness of those devoid of Jesus, dead in trespasses and sins, enslaved to passions, carrying out the desires of our mind, by nature, children of wrath. Do you know what two words separate Ephesians 2 from that bad news into the good news? But God. But God. And I have to say is that all, if all I have to offer is Jesus Christ, if all that stands between your lameness and a better way is God, is Jesus, then that means you get to raise your expectations. That means you're not getting alms, silver, or gold. You're getting Jesus, and you can expect great things. You can expect to walk today. 
That's what Peter expected. That's what he knew about God. Not only did he say it, he grabbed the lame man by the hand. Get up. I wasn't joking. I intend to see you walking. I know what my God can do and you're going to walk. And he does. He does walk. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Christ heals the crippled. Are you crippled today? Christ overcomes disability. Where are you disabled today? Christ sets people on their feet. Do you need to get back up and on your feet today? Confession time. I'm here many, many times as a Christian. Crippled, disabled. I'll never get over this sin. I'll never get over this season. I'll never. And I needed this like all week. Probably all my life. Because this is what Christ does. This is who Christ is. He's a healer. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. And when you and I respond to grace and faith, when we take the hand of faith, God stands us upright and we can walk in the paths of righteousness. Luke is even using some, some key words that might key us into greater things. See, the audience in our eyes, we see this great miracle already, a healing, but there are some even bigger things going on. This word leaping, some of yours might say jumping or jump up. It's only used once in the New Testament. I'll let you guess where at. Right here. (laughs) Anyways, it's a rare word. Now, the Old Testament, which is originally written in mostly Hebrew, there was a translation in Luke's day called the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation because Greek was like our English. And that word for leaping was used all over in places like in Isaiah. It's a messianic. In Isaiah 35, we hear a prophecy that Isaiah spoke about the Messiah, the kingdom that Jesus brings. In Isaiah 35, we hear, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And it seems to me that Luke, that the Holy Spirit wants us to be keyed into something, that the lame are now leaping. We know throughout the gospel accounts, particularly Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus himself reads from Isaiah chapter 61, another messianic prophecy. And he says, today this is being fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Jesus, the Holy Spirit... They're abundantly clear that Jesus and his ministry fulfills the scriptures and is ushering in the messianic age. And the beauty here is even with Jesus' first church. They're still bringing the kingdom of God to fruition. The lame are still leaping. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The people know, the people knew the lame man. And you and I know lame men. Spiritually, we know them. I was thinking about this last week. Some of you know that uh, 
Before I was a Frito-Lay chip guy, I was also a Pepsi guy. (laughs) And I started working for Pepsi in 2006 when I was a junior in high school at Cloninger's. And after I graduated, I took on another job along with my Pepsi job. I also became a freight worker at Cloninger's. And so I've really been associated with Cloninger's for about 13 years now. With uh, about a year and a half break, right after Christy and I got married, we moved to Moscow before we were called here. And there are a few folks at Cloninger's who I first met 13 years ago who are still there. And I don't mean this in a harsh or judgmental way because I certainly am a cripple in some areas of my life. But I know some of them, and spiritually speaking, it's sad. Spiritually speaking, you and I know people and we say things like, well, Chuck has just always had that problem. There's just always going to be with him and we leave no room for hope. We leave no room for the possibility of grace. You and I know people who are either untouched or maybe even might be against the gospel and they are crippled because of it. The people knew the lame man. That was just his lot. That's his spot there right in front of Beautiful Gate. But he's not there anymore. He's up. He's hitting the ground running. He's leaping and praising God. What happened? How did this happen? How did the cripple, the lame man, we all know, go from his lameness to what he's doing now? And we see some physical clues to let us in on a spiritual reality that Peter's going to talk about. The physical clues is that the lame man is clinging to Peter and John and the people are running to them. And even furthermore, Peter noted that they had been, quote, staring at them. Rather, the spiritual reality is that Peter and John did nothing that day. They did not heal. They are not to be clung to, ran to, or stared at. They said, why do you wonder as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? I want you to hear the beautiful truth in those words because what Peter is saying, to put it negatively, their power, and listen to this, their piety had nothing or had no part in Jesus Killing the lame man. Can I just be the first to admit that probably writing every sermon, this is my struggle. I pray and I agonize, I subconsciously am probably keeping track of my sins, and I think that somehow my own power or piety has a part to play in what you hear. That somehow God's grace will be hindered by my own performance. When the very economy of the gospel is that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you hear that? Even while we were committing the very acts that put him on the cross, his default is to give and to give us all he has unhindered. So that means in your own lameness, in the lameness, in the crippled state, wherever you're at, whatever you've done, whatever state you're in, you are not beyond God. You are not beyond God's healing touch. And you can do nothing to dissuade God from healing you. And you can do nothing to God for Him to heal you. Only receive. (laughs) Only believe. Because if you are dead in trespasses and sins, and if you are enslaved to the passions of your flesh, and if you're carrying out the desires of your mind, and if you are crippled, it is not you, but God 
being rich in His mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up just like the lame man, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Peter and John are saying, it's not us, it's God. And Paul is adding, it's God because He loves. It's not because we impress Him. It's not us because we perform so well. It's not us because we have power or piety, says Peter. It's not us because we're so good or we pulled the right levers. It's God because He loves. It's God because He's rich in mercy. But if you talk to some people, even some Christians... And you start saying this stuff, that God loves sinners, that God is merciful, that God saves us even while we yet sin, and that God heals the cripples. Some people might respond, what God? The God of the Bible? The the God that all the prophets say, thus saith the Lord when they scream out threats? That God? That God, says Peter. Listen to this, he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers. So Peter grounds the God who loves, heals, redeems, and restores cripples in the historic God that has been the only God since the foundations of the earth, the God that the Jewish audience claims to love and profess. That God glorifies, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you, Peter says to the audience, delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Do you feel the turnaround in that? Do you feel the explanation of God's overwhelming mercy and love against the reality that the very people that God is showing kindness and love to killed him. The word glorify in this passage comes from the same Greek word we get exalted. God has exalted and bestowed honor and glory. Some of you know in the gospel accounts, God basically says two times, at least we know of, see him, listen to Jesus, he is my son whom I love. Make much of him, he is great. And that's amazing because Jesus himself believed in one God, but we know that God is three in one. The words here that Peter uses glorify his servant. Some translations use the word son. The actual Greek word can mean either. But I think it's servant Jesus because it suggests to me that Peter has again some particular prophecies in mind from Isaiah. Within the prophecies of Isaiah, there are four servant poems, and the most widely known servant poem is Isaiah 52 through 53, the suffering servant. And if you go and read it, you say, is this about Jesus uh, and his death on the cross? You would be right. (laughs) 
but it was written 700 years prior. In fact, in Acts chapter, uh, later on in Acts, I should say, we know the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading that very poem. And Philip the Apostle would say, let me tell you who that servant is. So the amazing reality is that the lame man was healed by the servant prophesied 700 years prior. And then stinging are the words, you delivered him to Pilate, you know, the Roman pagan leader Pilate who found nothing wrong with him, but you still wanted his death so much so that you asked a murderer be released instead. And then Peter also has no qualms in stating, you killed the author of life. Genesis chapter 1 would tell us that's God. And so Peter is basically saying, you killed God. And then, another, and then amazingly, he says in the next sentence, whom God raised from the dead. <laughs> God raised the author of life from the dead. And Peter gives the amazing statement to this, we are witnesses. Peter is adding he and the apostles eyewitness testimony. In other words, they are saying, do you want to know who heals lame men? We know him. In fact, you know him and you killed him, but he has the power to heal lame men because he also has power to resurrect from the dead. We have seen him. And then I like where this ends. It ends on faith. Faith in this power. Faith that Jesus Christ is a healer. Faith that he can still heal the lame. Sorry, I didn't put that up there for you. Verse 16 would say, and by his name, excuse me, and his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. I wonder if you have faith today that God still heals the lame. I wonder if you have faith today that God still overcomes the disabled. He still puts people back on their feet. Because I have a feeling, if any of you are human like me, and I think you all are, I've been here for five years now, um, some of you might be crippled today. I have a feeling that some of you might be just doing enough just to get by. That you come to church and you open your Bibles and you pray, but you're just looking for alms. And if you just got some alms, you wouldn't bother anybody. You wouldn't make a scene. You're crippled. You know it's how it will always be. And you'll just get by. You'll just live this life as painful and long as you need to live it because this is your lot. You're crippled. You know, pastors often talk about the shortness of this life compared to eternity. And I get it. James, the brother of Jesus, says that what is life but a vapor? And I believe that compared to eternity, human life can seem finite but there's a wonderful story that my son sings about. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And do you know that verse, as Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus, what does he say? Today, salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Because the salvation that God offers has bearing on today. The salvation God offers heals, cripples, it overcomes disabilities, and the salvation that God offers puts lame men on their feet today. And the salvation that God offers is a present thing. It's an eternal life that starts now. And sure, 5,000 years from now, in the presence of God, will July 7th, 2019, listening to my sermon be on your mind? No, it won't be on my mind either. 
But friends, you're not 5,000 years from now. It's actually July 7th, 2019. And I have to tell you, you don't need to be crippled. You don't need to be lame. God can give you perfect health today. He can release you from whatever is crippling you. Amen? Here's what I want to do. I just want to pray for you, church. I'm not going to ask anybody to come up. It won't be that scary. (laughs) But I want you to know that I can't and I don't have power or piety, but there is unlimited power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our God and Savior. And I want to... I want you to know that he knows you. He knows what's crippling you. And I feel moved by the Spirit to say emphatically and wholeheartedly that you need to know that you are forgiven. If what's crippling you is sin, unconfessed or besetting or repetitive sin, you are forgiven. And there is power in his name to release you from that sin. There is power and piety found in Jesus alone to free you from that sin and for you to resist that sin. There is righteousness in Jesus that clothes you. And the Holy Spirit bears the fruit of self-control in you to make you wise against temptation. And there is mercy and grace and love and forgiveness that God has for you. And that His death on the cross was indeed for you and the 87th time you've committed that sin. You are forgiven. Let me pray over you in Jesus' name. Father, I'm not going to pretend that this is something meant for the congregation here. It's meant for me. And Father, I needed to hear that you do forgive me. That your love and your grace truly knows no bounds. Father, I also had to hear that simply because we wrestle with sin... We're not under the dominion of sin. We don't need to be subdued by it. But that you still give the hand of grace. And if by faith we take it, we may rise from our crippled state and walk. Father, it's my true desire that each and every person who walks out of here today will not walk away crippled. Will not walk away lame. Some people may have never professed you as Lord and Savior and they've been living crippled lives because of it. I pray that today is the day of salvation that they would ask you into their heart, that they would see the lot of their sins, that they would know that there is nothing that they can do to receive your fellowship except for accept you as the righteousness and accept you as the forgiveness of sins and that they would walk with you as a son or a daughter of God. And I pray that, that you would do that work of grace today, that they would believe in you. Father, others of us have been Christians for years, but man, we don't live like it. If we were taken into a courtroom, a judge would not find us guilty of being Christian. We pray that you would help us to overcome our crippled state, that we would not just peruse the scriptures and listen to the pastor and pray for alms, that we would indeed know you and we would walk with you and walk in the paths of righteousness. And that we would come to these things to know you more and to love you more, not just to receive alms. Father, whatever the situation may be, I pray that you would give everybody the freedom of knowing that you have forgiven them, and that you can cause them to rise up and walk. I ask and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.